Father, we thank you that you are adding to your church this morning. We thank you for your word that is able to build up. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to come here on Sundays and try to reinvent the wheel. For 2,000 plus years, the people of God have been reading scripture, praying. There's been a sermon. Lord, Lord, you work through ordinary means. You're the God of things. Holy Spirit, you use the word of God to do the work of God and the people of God for the glory of God. So now, Lord, as we open up your most holy scriptures and go through it verse by verse, please give me your words to say. Pray comfort those who are afflicted. I pray that you stir up those to use their spiritual gifts that you have blessed them with to serve the church. Lord, we want to mature in Christ. We don't just want to play games. We really are serious about spiritual Christian growth. That is for everyone in Christ, Lord. If you have us here today, and you do, we know there's more growth, there's more of Jesus, there's more knowledge, there's more, there's more of you. Lord, we say we want more of God this morning. God, please have your way in this congregation and this morning. Please glorify yourself. Please give us focus. It's hard to focus sometimes with all the things we have going on throughout the week. Please grant us focus and energy. And Lord, would you just come and build us in our faith through the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. read a story by a lady named Dawn. Dawn said that her dad growing up was not a Christian. He was a farmer. Her dad did not believe in the Bible because her grandpa, her dad's dad, told her the Bible is just a fairy tale. Don't believe that stuff. But then a local church pastor took interest in her father Asking if he could help plow the fields on the weekend. That one, of, that one act of service, using his gift of serving, spoke louder than words. By his actions, the pastor made her dad feel loved. Theological correctness is very important. But at that very moment in time, through growing up in a household where dad said that the Bible is a fairy tale and not believing in Jesus, what that farmer needed more than anything was someone to show him the love of God through service, through using his spiritual gifts. And we sometimes think, what in the world can I offer the church? I'm not that gifted. I don't know the Bible that well. I'm ashamed to admit it. I've been saying I believe in Jesus decade after decade after decade. I still don't know the scriptures. How can I help? Look at her. She's so charismatic and glowing and energetic and people just flock to her. I don't have that charisma. I'm more of an introvert. Or seminary and original languages and all this. I didn't get that education. How am I, I going to use my gifts to serve the church? Those sentiments are understandable. We all struggle with various insecurities and doubts about ourselves in various ways. But the good news is that if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, God has blessed you with spiritual gifts. And he wants you to steward those by serving the church, by serving other believers. Particularly to mature in Christ. 
we should use our spiritual gifts to help other Christians mature in Christ. That, that's what we see in this passage from the Apostle Paul writing this letter from Paul to the Colossians. Four chapters, rich theology everywhere. And one of the struggles of this church was that there was false teaching that had entered the church. Weird stuff. Stuff like worship angels and do taboos and rituals. And don't eat this food, but eat this food. And if you do this kind of stuff, then God will bless you. And Paul comes on the scene and says, no, 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 no. Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord over creation, over redemption. Christ is the reason you exist. This letter is ruthlessly and unapologetically Christ-centered. But now as we continue on verse 24, trying to go verse by verse to squeeze out everything that's there, we start to notice a shift in the letter. Paul starts to talk about his service to the church. He's never met these people. Someone else planted the church. But Paul's writing the letter. So he's saying, hey, look, I, 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 I exalted in Christ, and I'm going to continue to do that in this letter. But I'm, I'm going to talk about myself a little bit. Not in like an ego, insecure kind of way, but I want you to know about my calling. I want you to know about my service. I want you to know a little bit about my sufferings. And so Paul starts to do that. And he talks about the, the goal of why God commissioned him to serve the church. And just like anybody who's in any sort of Christian leadership, there's no success without suffering. And usually the more fruitful you, you are for God, the more fruit you bear, the more trials you must endure. Paul is no different. He starts in verse 24 and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Rejoice in my sufferings. Are you crazy, Paul? You realize that no other teaching really, no, no other system teaches that you're free to rejoice in your sufferings? This is a counter-cultural counter statement. It aligns with what Paul says in Philippians where he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Seen this way, hard, hard times can be a blessing of refinement. And, and part of the sufferings that Paul went through, one, he's in prison as he writes this letter for his Christian faith. That seems foreign to us here in America, but many Christians around the world, just for saying, I believe in Jesus, can get you in jail. So Paul, Paul is in jail in prison right now, that's part of his suffering. But when Jesus saved Paul, Jesus made it very clear in the book of Acts, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name. So, so part of Paul's apostolic calling was to endure suffering for the sake of the church. And he mentions some of his hardships in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, an underrated book of the Bible, one of my favorite books of the Bible where Paul says that he experienced, 2 Corinthians 11, imprisonments. This is, this is a Christian talking about being a Christian leader. This is stuff he went through. He said, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. 
Verse 24 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and exposure, Many of us have gone through tremendous suffering. A lot of you way more than me. But that, that list is, when I read that, I'm just thinking, how in the world did you endure that? And, and not only does Paul endure that, but he, he says, I rejoice in this. I'm glad about this. Not, not the suffering for suffering's sake, but what it produces, which is character and godliness and endurance and perseverance. He says, I rejoice in this for your sake. So when you go through hard times, and you experience the grace of Jesus in that hard time, you are more of a blessing to the people of God. Because you could serve them through your words, you can serve them through your actions. Oh, you got let go, I know what it's like. God blessed me. God provided, God came through. It was many dark nights. I didn't know how I was going to provide. But listen, God is faithful. Hang on. You, you can be a blessing to other people. We, we, we tend not to think that way about hardships. Charles Simeon was a pastor in the 1800s in England at Trinity Church, Cambridge for 49 years. His church members were unbelievably hostile towards him. They would not let him preach to, to them for 12 years. They locked the pews and tried to hire someone else. They forced him to preach to a standing congregation when they let him preach. When he tried to do house visitations, you know, go to people's homes. How's your faith? How's your walk with the Lord doing? How's, you reading your Bible? How can I serve you? People wouldn't open the door, hardly. Tremendous amount of slander and criticism. We, we live in a day of emotional fragility in many ways, and studying Charles Simeon and others from the past sees how can we endure when things are hard. And one afternoon, after almost 50 years in one church, someone named Joseph asked him, how in the world did you survive that? His reply, my dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. It's good to pray to get out of suffering whenever hard times strike. Nobody likes it for itself. But as we consider American Christianity, wonderful, prosperous, beautiful country that was founded on Christian values, we sometimes wonder where is this going? For my kids, for our grandchildren, it's going to be more hostile, it seems. Feels like a loss. Yeah, it can be. Opposition is hard. 
But if you look at the book of Acts and other places in church history, whenever opposition comes, the church gets stronger. So, so when we suffer corporately as a church body in America, we, we, tend, we tend to think of bigger budgets, more churches, um, comfortable things, achievement. That, that's good, but we need to rethink and think, actually, this can be used for good. This can be used for good. And as we go through hardships and difficulties, we experience the grace of God and we can become a stronger church. Paul continues in his letter and he says, this is why I rejoice in my sufferings. He says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. That is a notoriously difficult verse to translate. He's not saying that Christ's death on the cross was somehow inadequate. That would contradict a lot of scripture. But what Paul here seems to be saying is that as, as Paul honors God and his calling, and as he endures suffering, the suffering benefits the church. So, so not only did he rejoice in his sufferings, but he speaks of this commissioning to be a, a minister. He says, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul did not seek to be a minister. That word minister there means servant. He, didn't, he did not seek to be in Christian ministry. He approved of the murder of Christians. One day while he was walking on the Damascus Road, God in a supernatural way intervened in his life, opened up his heart and mind to believe in Jesus, changed him forever, and called him to the ministry to serve. This word stewardship there, verse 25, it has the sense of being divinely commissioned steward or administrator. It was a word used widely in the Roman world for the administration of a large household. Paul says, my, my gifts, spiritual gifts, my calling is not given to me. It's entrusted to me. I, I'm a steward of this grace that one day I'm going to give an account to God. And his stewardship was to make the word of God fully known. In Acts chapter 6, there's a complaint. Widows were being neglected. That was a fair complaint, a big deal. And you would think that those who were called to preach and teach would drop everything and rearrange their schedules to, let me jump in and serve right away there. But they don't because they know their calling and their spiritual gifts and what God has called them to do. And they reply in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Pick out among you seven men full of the spirit and of wisdom who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. Nothing more important than that. The prayer and ministry of the word for those who serve in any capacity. 
Paul keeps going. He talks about this mystery. This, this mystery really is not a mystery. It's, that's not what the word means. He's saying that the Gentiles, anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile, he's saying they are now grafted in to the full covenant blessings. That was part of Paul's ministry to reach Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But in order to see that happen, Paul had to be faithful with his stewardship to make the word of God known. For us, part of our stewardship is to believe every word in the Bible. Yes. But it's also to consider what what spiritual gifts, what act of service, where can you steward what God has blessed you with? I'm not the Apostle Paul, you're not the Apostle Paul. It might not be preaching and teaching and making the word of God known. But if you are in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And the call from this passage is to use that to serve other Christians. We see that in verse 1 Peter chapter 4. Where Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I define a spiritual gift like this. A God-given ability entrusted to you by God for the purpose of glorifying God and serving others. You have a part to play. In Paul's other letters, he talks about the church being a body. And he talks about like the elbow and the ear and the mind and the foot and all that. And the elbow can't say to the ear, I I have no place of you. Likewise, a preacher can't say to someone else who serves, we don't don't need that. We just need preaching only. No, it, it doesn't work like that. There's no such thing as an inferior spiritual gift. And some of them, some of the spiritual gifts are, there that's preaching, teaching, administration, evangelism, hospitality, serving, leadership, prophecy, mercy, giving, discernment. God has blessed you with that to serve other believers. How can you use what God has blessed you with to serve the church? You can take online spiritual tests, spiritual gifts tests. They're somewhat helpful. But the best way is to just try out a bunch of stuff, see what you like doing, see where you bear fruit, and continue to do that. Now, some of us, we we tend to lean towards one or the two sides. One, we we do too much. We're always serving. We're always saying yes to everything. We have a hard time saying no. What you need to hear this morning is you are already accepted in Christ because Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins and you are already approved by God. Your desire to serve is very good, but you don't need to do it out of a need to be needed. You are already approved in Christ and you are free to say no when you feel it is best to say no. Others of us, we're on the other side. 
to come every once in a while on Sunday. I believe in Jesus. I, I do this. I do that. But God has blessed you with some sort of spiritual gift, some sort of service that Paul, Paul says, my, my job is to make the word of God fully known. That might not be your thing, but it's something. And there's zero use of it at all through every season of life. We will give an account to God for what he has blessed us with. And part of being faithful to God is to use those spiritual gifts to bless other people, to help them mature in Christ. That's what Paul says in verse 28. He says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I really love this verse. Verse 28. And if you serve in any kind of ministry with the Word, with the Bible, Sunday morning classes, children's ministry, Raising up kids in the Lord. I want, I want you to consider making this the mantra of why you do what you do. Paul says that there, there's an aim behind his ministry. Evangelism is good. Decisions for Christ is good. Yes, of course we want to see people believe in Jesus. Yes. But what about after that? We, we, we tend to think, man, I just believe in Jesus. I'm good with God. I'm going to do my own thing now for the rest of my life. But, but here what Paul says here, the end of verse 28, he says, we want to present everyone mature in Christ. So part of the reason why we labor in teaching the word and leading classes and children's ministry and trying to talk about Jesus and the word with other people who are Christians is to help them grow. To help them grow. He says, him we proclaim. Remember, this is at a church where angels were getting a big deal. Where, where Jesus was pushed aside. Let, let's talk about mystical, weird things. So he said, no, Christ we proclaim. Proclaim, that word there means to make a public announcement, to announce with the implication of broad spreading. We spread the good news of Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that if you turn from sin and believe in him, you can be saved, that you can have a right relationship with God. We proclaim Christ to people. He says we warn. We warn people. We don't just say things that people want to hear just so that they will like us. There, there's an offense to the gospel, right? Like you can't save yourself. You need to turn to Jesus. That, that's offensive for people. But he says we, we, we warn, we admonish, we instruct Everyone, that word everyone is repeated three times. Everyone, 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 anyone who comes in this church or anyone who God brings into my ministry, I want to serve them, help them, teach them so that they would grow in Christ. That word mature there means perfect. None of us are perfect. 
but the goal is to meet a standard that, that one day when Christ returns and gathers his people, we will experience something then that theologians call glorification, where there's no more sin, no more struggle, no more Satan, and God's people will be perfect. We're not there yet. But until then, we strive towards maturity. This isn't, oh yeah, the Bible, I read it when I was 30, I'm good. I'm done with that. Oh, prayer and, and walking with the Lord and seeking the Lord. I've done that for so many decades right now. I'm just, I'm, 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 no. This is the whole goal is to become more like Christ increasingly. And so this is not just for pastors. This is not just for claimed reverend, clergy, ordained ministers. This is for, for the people of God. For those who God brings to your midst into your ministry. Is to teach, to warn everyone that we may present others more mature in Christ. That's what we want to do is grow in the Lord. To use the word mature means that some of us are maybe, maybe far behind. Maybe we didn't grow up in the Christian family. That's totally okay. There's a lot more areas I can grow in. There's a lot more things about the Bible that I can learn. I feel like every month I'm learning and growing. We're, we're all on this journey together to mature in Christ. And this is, this is definitely hard to serve in this way of, of telling kids and grandkids about Jesus, of serving faithfully in a Sunday school class or a small group ministry when it feels like nobody's paying attention at all. But here Paul talks about something about supernatural energy. In verse 29 he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. The word toil there means to the point of exhaustion, intense effort. So when you put together Bible studies and small group curriculum and various leadership things, when you're talking to kids and talking to other people about Christ, it, it does require effort. Nobody says it's easy. Paul was utterly driven. He labored at all hours of the night to present Christ to people. It, it requires work. But then he says that God powerfully works this energy in me. That God provides supernatural, something you, you can't go to the store and buy this. You can't go on Amazon and get it two days later. This is no supplement. This is supernatural power, energy from God to fulfill the mandate, to proclaim, to teach, to warn everyone God brings in your midst about Christ and help them grow in Christ. By the grace of God, we don't just want to gather and hang out and talk and eat, although that's fun. We want to mature in Christ. And we never know the eternal impact that we will have on people. This reminds me of Charles Spurgeon's testimony in his autobiography. I'll quote at length some of Spurgeon's own words. Spurgeon, if you don't know, he was the pastor of a church of thousands of people. He wrote 150 books, started an orphanage, probably outside of the Apostle Paul, more productivity, more output than anyone that I know of. Just a giant for the Christian faith. This is his testimony. Here's what he says. He says this. 
I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now, had it been for the goodness, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist church. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's heads ache. But that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers be instructed, but this man was really stupid. This is Charles Spurgeon quoting. I'm not, I'm not making fun of anyone. I'm reading right from his own words. Spurgeon was this funny. He's a, he's a genius and he's funny. He says this. He was commanded to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was I, I thought, a glimmer of hope for me in that text. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance. However, it was a good blow that struck right home. And he continued, And you will always be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist could do, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. And that was the day Charles Spurgeon became a Christian. 12 to 15 people. We sometimes think, oh, we're, we, we need more people for God to move. No, we don't. We just need God for God to move. Pastor wasn't there that day. Someone else filled in. Who, what's the name? Nobody knows the name of this preacher at all. He probably has no idea that he led the great Charles Spurgeon to Christ. But God used his effort. A seminary professor once said, the results of your life are largely hidden from you. God doesn't always show us how our efforts are blessing other people. But we don't need to see. We just need to continue to trust him to teach, to warn, to use our spiritual gifts to help other Christians mature in Christ and trust that he's working behind the scenes. Let's pray.
God, I just absolutely love stories like this with Spurgeon. Lord, we don't need a seminary degree. We don't need to know Greek and Hebrew. We don't need to memorize the whole Bible for you to use us. You're just looking for a humble heart, a willing heart, an obedient heart. So God, would you just use us? Would you just tap someone on the shoulder in the service today supernaturally and call them to do some sort of ministry? Or would you supply this grace? Would you, would you help our church to hear more stories of conversion and those who are converted to grow in Christ? We need you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Help us, Lord, to use our spiritual gifts to serve, to help others mature in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.